welcome to the Bullcast Podcast. I'm Katie Pickler, and with me is Court Winston. Hello, Katie. And Cameron Spin. Hello. Okay, this is a part twofer. Two, part two. Okay, so this is your time to tell you, go back, listen to the part one. You know, usually we tell you, you don't have to listen in any order, but you might want to listen to number one. But if you haven't, don't worry, we'll give you a little recap. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I mean, number one really ended up just be part one ended up being, I mean, I think it was a good episode. I certainly had fun. A lot of interesting questions, a lot of stuff that was brought up, but it was just one big long teaser for part two almost. It's talking about your beliefs and what you believe in. And and we're specifically talking about something called money scripts. It's one of those things, if you thought about the idea that someone would be so successful, if they could just get out of their own way, they could get out of their own head because we have such enriched beliefs. And it starts as a kid. You, you believe in the Easter bunny, you believe in the tooth fairy, you believe in these people because of some reason. And then you grow up to be an adult and you believe in the Cowboys are going to come back. They are going to win a Super Bowl. Okay. Maybe that's just me. but, (laughs) But I'm serious. Like we all have these strong beliefs and there's a reason behind it. Mm -hmm. So before we get into the financial part of this, the money scripts and really kind of understanding your beliefs around money, Court's put together a fun little list here. Well, yeah. Okay. So this might be a little bit of a stretch, but stick with me, guys. It's I I think it's going to be fun. A lot of what money script involves is talking to yourself, the way you talk to yourself about money, certainly the way you think about money and, and everything. So it's almost like, okay, what is your inner monologue about money? And I was thinking, you know, I'm picturing people just sitting there talking to themselves. And I was like, okay, well, what if we did a, a list of great movie scenes or, or great movies where the main character or a character talks to themselves? And it actually turns out that there are a lot of scenes out there that are really pretty iconic where the main character or someone else is talking to themselves. So that's what our list is today. It's movies where people talk to themselves. <laughs> The first one on the list is Apocalypse Now, and the the movie opens with the main character of Apocalypse Now basically talking to himself about the fact that he is stuck in Saigon and he doesn't want to be there. So uh, if you're familiar with the movie, then it's not as iconic as the Marlon Brando scene at the end, but it's a pretty iconic scene. (laughs) I'm going to have to throw in Kill Bill. Uma Thurman plays Beatrix Kiddo, and she's on an absolute rampage of revenge, Mm -hmm. Um, and she sadistically narrates both movies. Her most iconic is... When I woke up, I went on what the movie advertisements refer to as a roaring rampage of revenge. I roared, and I rampaged, and I got bloody satisfaction. Mm-hmm. As you were just saying that, I was in my head thinking, okay, I know there's so many scenes in movies where somebody's like sitting in their car and they're trying to decide like, you can do it, come on, you can do it. And I'm pretty sure that was in Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Where Cameron's oh, perfect. trying, yeah. Cameron's trying <laughs> to like so be like, I, I mean, he's gonna, he's just gonna keep calling, he's just gonna keep calling, <laughs> I, I just gotta go. And so the, he had a huge one where he is just trying to decide what to do with his friend Ferris. You so, know, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think, I had a, a scene in my head of someone sitting in a car talking to themselves. And I could not place the scene, and I think that that is the one that I had in my head. These inner monologues that are vocalized for the audience are such a great tool for story development. And we all do it. You're all sitting there like, come on, get up, get up. I know your alarm's gone off. If you don't get up now, then you're going to be late. Like, we all do that. Yeah. Um, since since I've changed the list up, I will throw in another one. The Grinch. <gasps> Technically, I guess he's talking to Max, his dog, but the epic scene where he's like pacing back, what, what will I wear? And what are they going to do? Okay, that's it. I'm not going. I said, I'm not going. I'm not going. 
What you got, Court? I'm gonna, once again, I'm going to be pulling out older films. I think the most obvious and the one that that there's a certain group of people that would be yelling at their headphones, I guess, if they <laughs> if I didn't say it would be Taxi Driver. That is probably, you know, are you talking to me? The the mirror scene in Taxi Driver is one of the most iconic character talking to themselves scenes. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with Castaway, which is probably 90% just <laughs> monologues to himself, and he uses Wilson as kind of a way to talk to himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great one. You know, there's a lot of movies where they use something that they're talking to, a dog or a, an object. Cruella is an example that, you know, she's technically talking to her mother who's deceased, and she's standing in front of the fountain, but she's kind of explaining to her mom, like, this is what's happening, and, and I'm finally embracing who I am. So she's admitting to herself what she's become and what her next journey is going to be but she's ploying it as i'm telling my mother this a lot of mine are just single lines that i love from movies but it's a character just talking to themselves and one of my favorite single lines from a movie is die hard yep yep the bruce willis is is in the air vent with the lighter and he says come out to the coast we'll get together have a few laughs (laughs) i love that line another one-off line where he's talking to himself is harrison ford and raiders of the lost ark yes snakes why it have to be snakes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, Caddyshack. I mean, that's that's one for sure. That's beautiful. <laughs> when he's planting it out and it's, you know, trying to make sure that it's the gopher yeah, that yeah. he's trying to deal with. And, yeah. It's Bill Murray dealing with the gopher, wandering around with his little, <laughs> with his little animals made out of C4. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, what about Billy Madison? He several times does the whole, like, shampoo is better, conditioner is better, stop looking at me, swan. And then it's like, it's too hot out here for penguins. I think that's a lot of Adam Sandler movies because I'm thinking of um, Happy Gilmore. Happy mm. Gilmore, yeah. Happy Gilmore, where he's just talking to himself. And... <laughs> or talking to his golf ball. Yeah, just Go home! Go to your home! home. <laughs> Okay, what about, this This one may be a little bit older. There's a scene where Lloyd Dobler is talking to himself, trying to talk himself up and say anything. Yeah. Remember that movie, that classic movie? Yeah. Yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> no, I mean, there's so many that I know I'm not placing that it's just, there's that iconic scene that cinema shows you where you're building yourself up. And most of the time, we don't talk to ourselves out loud because we don't want anyone near us to think we're crazy. But we're all doing this in our head. It's like, okay, do I look okay? Like, is this what I should do? And we weigh our own options in our head of like, should I take the job? Should I not? Should I go on the date? Should I not? Should I say this? Oh crap, did I really just say this? And so I think TV shows have started doing that now where it's like you hear in their head like what they're thinking. Well, what about this? This is a little bit, it's not It's not meta. That's not the right way to put it. But technically, uh, a spoiler alert, the character is talking to himself, but you don't find that out until the end of the movie because it's Ed Norton spending all of oh, his time yeah. talking to Brad Pitt. You don't find out until the end that it's because he's got a little multiple personality going on. Sorry, did I actually say the name of the movie or did I just say who the actors were? Did I say Fight Club? Speaking of crazy, I'm taking a leap of faith here because I've never seen this movie, but I'm assuming there are a lot of monologues is The Joker with Joaquin Phoenix because oh, he's he, got a, he crank yeah. crank. Yeah, he, he, I'm pretty sure he's got at least one where he's talking to himself. Money scripts, as I said at the beginning of this episode, you know, you think about somebody would be so successful if they could just get out of their own way, if they could get out of their own head. And perhaps you've even thought about yourself when you think about 
How are you looking at money? How are you believing in things? Because sometimes you just got to get out of your own head. You've got the facts in front of you. You've got the information. Someone is telling you something, but you're your own worst enemy. You've got the devil and the angel on your shoulders feeding information to you, trying to decide how to figure this out. And, you know, these beliefs are deep. They are built into your system from over time. They're generational. They're what your parents did and didn't do, what your friends do. I mean, have y'all ever thought of the fact that if you've hung around a certain friend for a period of time, you start picking up their phrases? Like, I know when we first started this podcast, I started picking up Quartz phrases and he stopped saying them and then I kept saying them. (laughs) And it's because we were just around each other so much that you pick it up. I've made comments about, um, you know, my husband, he will, he's in the car business and he will oftentimes continue the same language, if that makes sense, as if he, the customer he was just talking to, because Mm. you, you change your mannerism and your language depending on the person you're talking with. And so if someone's got a real deep Southern accent and is kind of speaking in twang, you're going to meet that twang. Oh yeah. I definitely match a twang (laughs) if I hear it. After a few drinks, I get real Southern. Yep. But so, you know, these beliefs, they're systematic and they're something that you're not even thinking about, but they're happening. And they often stem from childhood lessons that our parents have instilled in us and they're impressions that can stay with us into adulthood. And so this isn't something that we just determine, yes, this is going to be our belief because we have to fight that internal battle and try and overcome them if there's something that it's, you know, a little bit of a hang up. And that's the last episode, we really went through kind of an exercise and I put Court and Cam kind of on the spot and asked them questions on what is someone who's rich? What is someone who's poor? Because I don't know that I necessarily thought this was a difference of rich or poor, but I always was so jealous of my friends that their parents would buy them Chips Ahoy and all I had was homemade cookies. <laughs> and and that's crazy to think about, but it was one of those like you were You had what you you had a mother that baked. <laughs> I, I had a mother that baked and probably my friends that got chips ahoy were thinking their mom bakes and you just buy me cookies. But it's <laughs> homemade all... is way better than chips ahoy. Yeah, but I was very in I'm like, what are what are Oreos? What are chips ahoy? I didn't know anything about those because I always had homemade cookies. Mm. And so it's all it's the frame of reference of where you are. So, you know, your rich and your poor definitions are very different depending on how you grew up and what you were surrounded by. Well, okay. So here is a perfect example that we're actually given people that grew up during the Great Depression, that mm-hmm. lived while the Great Depression was going on, or even when when rationing was going on during uh, World War II, but especially the Great Depression. They have a very different relationship with basically everything uh, than say I do because you know they went through a, a, a stage where basically you did not waste anything mm-hmm. you you made sure that you used everything to its maximum possible use and you scrimped and you saved and you were taking chicken feed bags and turning them into dresses and I mean you know <laughs> so my wife had an aunt who grew up during the Great Depression and one night she was this tiny tiny little woman And one night we were at a restaurant and she ordered a chef salad and it came in a bowl that had to be like a two quart size bowl. I mean, this this, this was the biggest salad I've ever seen. And that woman ate every single bite of that salad. And I talked to Robin afterwards. I was like, hey, your aunt really packed away the food. And she said, yeah, she doesn't waste food. She doesn't believe in wasting food. She grew up during the Great Depression. So, you know, just those kinds of that, that kind of mindset that can that can obviously because this was when her aunt was much, much older. And obviously it was still something that was still permeating her life, this this attitude yeah. toward money that she had. 
Yeah, I mean, if you grew up in a very disposable family that it's like, you know, your shoe gets a hole in it, get a new one. You know, oh, it's okay if you don't eat all your food, then, you know, we'll just throw it out and get new stuff tomorrow. Mm. That changes you versus if you've had to ration and that you weren't immediately given something like, hey, I want a new Xbox. Okay, we'll go get it. Versus, no, you need to wait. We need You need to do chores. You need to work for it. Because that child who was just given the Xbox is getting immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want this given. The one that was told, no, you need to make good grades or you need to do chores or you need to do something. They were taught there's a value. They did something and they're rewarded with this item. This is just like uh, our last episode. One group is going to expect handouts and the other is going to realize you got to work hard to get what you want. Yeah. The thing is with this money scripts, there are no right or wrong. It's awareness. That is the biggest thing about it is that you understand what are your beliefs? How are you personally going to handle it? And then understanding that other people have different beliefs. Not everyone believes in the same thing when it comes to allowances for kids Mm -hmm. or work ethic, any of that. No one believes it the same way, no matter as much as we want everybody to think the same way. And that's, I mean, you think about with everything, that's why there's elections. That's why there's all these different things because everybody has totally different beliefs. Everyone's coming from different scenarios. And while yes, these money scripts are from, a lot of them are started from when you're a child, they can change because think about it. Someone may be a workaholic. They may value that they've got to work hard and maybe it's because they grew up in a family where they the people didn't work hard. And so they want to prove themselves. They don't ever want to be without. So they're going to keep working, 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 but then they can almost put themselves in a bad situation where they work too much and they lose sight of their values of family. And they may never realize that until something crazy happens. And you've seen that in movies. I think there was The Family Man mm-hmm. um, with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, Nicolas Cage. Where it's it took something for him to wake up to realize working isn't everything. Yeah. It, sometimes your family would rather have you there and have a little bit less than not have you there and have all the luxury things in the world. That remind, did you all ever see Click with Adam Sandler? Yeah. It's kind of the same premise. He he was working so hard and he found this magical remote in Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> and he decided he could rewind or pause and then he started fast forwarding and his family grew old and he's like, oh crap, what have I done? Mm. So what is your first memory of money? The one that always comes to mind is actually, it's really random and sort of very, very specific. But I remember I had this giant wardrobe in my childhood bedroom. Like Narnia? Well, it it wasn't (laughs) quite as big as the one in Narnia, but it was a big wardrobe like that. It had two doors and you open up. In one side of my wardrobe, I had a collection of coins and I kept them up on top of a shelf in the wardrobe. And I just have this very specific memory of climbing up the drawers in the wardrobe to get up to the top shelf where the coins were so that I could get them down and count them. And I went to either my mom or my dad, I can't remember which, and said, you know, hey, I've got, you know, I've got five cents because I had five coins. Yep. And that was, you know, they were like, no, actually you have, let's see what you have here. You have a dime and you have a nickel and you have a penny and you have a quarter. And so you've actually got however much, whatever the the amount was that it turned out. And that was the first time that I realized that there was a 
a difference in value depending on what what type of coin you had. And that was and I have a very very clear memory of that happening. So what about you, Cam? I have two distinct memories: one positive and one very negative. The positive was just general allowance. We had these robust chore lists. And every Friday we would get paid like a dollar or something. And um, that was big in our family. We were just expected to do it and we would be given the dollar. But another memory I had, I was probably six or seven. And I went into my mom's purse and stole $5 because I really wanted something, probably like a a Pokemon card pack or something. (laughs) Just straight up went in there and stole it. And then I just remember this guilt I felt because I was like, man, she worked hard for that. I didn't do anything for that. I'm stealing. You're a horrible person. I'm horrible. (laughs) I was young though. This was not like last week, but I never did it again. Never stole again. Mm. That's amazing that you had that guilt as it on, like, did she ever find out about it? Never found out about it, but it was just, I thought you were going to say like, you You didn't have guilt until you got caught. I never got caught with it, but but it was just this like the little uh, devil on or angel on my shoulder was like, what have you done? And that explains your answers in the last episode where you very much have a grasp around like not just taking from people and you don't ever want to take money that you didn't do something for you didn't earn. So that that's mm, I would say I learned the hard way, but I mean, she never found out, I guess just yeah, most by people myself. Would say they learned the hard way when they got caught. You just ratted yourself out. So you so, have a very good conscience. mom. If you're listening, I am so sorry I did that. <laughs> I mean, I think I've said before mine, um, you know, I have an older brother. And so I think I very much was the little brat and uh, the bank of mom was the big thing with us. Mm -hmm. Like obviously dad being a financial advisor, then money was taught at a very young age. And it's usually with like Easter egg hunts, then there'd be like dollars or coins in there. And so learning from that, but ours was, they made the value of money associated with marbles. And we had jars that had marbles in it. And if you did something good, you got a marble put in your jar and if you didn't then the marble was taken out and i guess that was a way for them not to have actual cash there Mm -hmm. and they could just have a log of it 50 points to gryffindor yeah (laughs) i like that a lot yeah the downfall of the allowance which was a good thing was they didn't teach us next steps we'd get the dollar but they didn't teach us about saving or 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 giving yeah Yeah. that's right we didn't get that so it's just like okay i have a few dollars let's just go buy something it kind of didn't amount to anything Okay, so there's four basic money scripts that we're going to kind of talk about. And then there's obviously, those are very high level ones. And then Mm -hmm. there's so many that goes underneath it. So number one, money avoidance. Um, One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. People who fall into the money avoidance category probably agree with the more popular and incorrect version of this verse that people love quoting money is the root of all evil. Okay, so the love of money is the root of all evil is the real quote. And then money is the root of all evil is just sort of like... I mean, I read that, but I'm still like, I think I just said the same thing. No. But no, it's the (laughs) love of money is the root of all evil. Mm -hmm. Money is the root of all evil. Okay. So if you've common money scripts in this category, all wealthy people are greedy. Yeah. I mean, that's not true because we talked about last episode, Bill Gates yeah. and how he's, you know, people who realize they're fortunate enough to have money, that they're able to do things, give jobs, give to charities, build foundations, do things like that. But I mean, you know, speaking from pop cultural references, you know, obviously one of the biggest lines uh, that I can think of about a a person, a money person is the quote, greed is good, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is a generalization, but it reminds me of my answer on last week's episode. It was tongue in cheek where you asked the question and I was like, inheritance, that's how people are wealthy. But no, I mean, there could be a rich person just driving a pickup truck. You don't know 
that they are super wealthy and they're they're really kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's usually those kind of people. I'm like, that's why they're so wealthy because they're not trying to blow all their money having the nicest of nice things. And it's not always true, but sometimes the people driving the crazy cars and having the lavish things, they may be up to their eyeballs in debt and nothing's liquid. Now, let me just say this. Pickup trucks are not <laughs> They're cheap. They're expensive oh, now. <laughs> when I said pickup truck, I meant like an old one. That's yeah. a luxury car nowadays. Okay, another um, kind of one underneath money avoidance. Poor people are inherently purer than wealthy people. Yeah, of course they are. I mean, that's that's not necessarily true. No, it's not. I will say that when I was working at JDRF, um, the nonprofit, then it was always interesting that sometimes proportionally wise... The people who were just kind of great middle-class people who were making a solid living, they would give more than someone who on paper I could think would be able to give bigger dollars. Mm -hmm. Like the wealthy didn't give as much. Yeah. I'm thinking back to the last episode that we did when you were giving us those Uh fill-in-the-blank questions. And some of them, you can sort of tell where the question was... Leading you. Yeah, was leading you. You know, if it was like, if the question was rich people are blank and someone has this sort of poor people are inherently purer than rich people, then a rich people are blank question. They're going to be like evil, greedy, you know, whatever. The idea of poor people being pure is bogus because think about the crackhead on the street. Maybe they were dealt a bad hand, but they're, they turn to to drugs and I wouldn't say that's pure. And so number one, poor and rich is subjective. I mean, it's somebody may consider themselves poor, but they have, a home, they have two cars, they have a job. If they consider themselves poor, comparing themselves to Elon Musk mm-hmm. versus someone who is actually like living on the streets. I think even pop culture's gotten behind this. We're telling the other side of the story. We, you know, we grew up with the villain. And now we're hearing the villain side of the story, that everything has two sides. And so is this person poor because they got down on their luck? Are they trying to, like the pursuit of happiness, are they trying to rise above it and still have that work ethic? Or are they poor because they're choosing to just take handouts and they want people to take care of them and they're not willing to have their own personal conversation and say, look, I need to change my situation. There's so many great debates with all of this, yeah. and that there's no right or wrong. It's how you look at it and, and knowing what do you believe. It's kind of like when you see the homeless person hold up a sign that's not asking for money. It says something like, I need a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have a completely different view of them mm-hmm. as soon as you read that sign. Yeah. yeah. And it's important to point out, and I'm sure we will several times over the course of this conversation, but these are money scripts. These are these are the way that, that, that people think of money in and of themselves, none of these are necessarily problematic. We're no, not saying no, no, no. that it's wrong to think this way or that it's right to think this way. It's just ingrained in you to think this way. Yeah, this is just asking you to kind of think through these and maybe, you know, have a conversation with a friend or family member. Like, for instance, the next one under money avoidance, uh, the last one under money avoidance is better to give than receive. And who of us has not heard that a million times? Yeah. Whether or not you actually believe it to be true or not could be part of your money script or it could just be something that you've heard over and over and over again ad nauseum. I'm usually that philosophy of better to give to people than receive, but then... When you give and give and give, then sometimes you're like, hey, you know, I, I'm all I, out. <laughs> I, I want to receive something too every once in a while. Like, you know, come on, share the love back. <laughs> yeah, but at its most basic, I think that's why you get the warm and fuzzy feeling when you give because mm-hmm. it is it is a good thing. You yeah. just have to draw the line, Katie. So people with money avoidance script, um, they typically feel fear, disgust, or anxiety about money. 
And they believe that money corrupts. They may label the wealthy as greedy, as we've talked about before, and that they think that they are better off having less money. It all comes back to the belief that money, and to a greater degree, wealth is inherently corrupt. And this belief is often deeply ingrained. It can lead people down a difficult path to financial denial and dysfunction. That's kind of what I was talking about with the poor people is, you know, someone who maybe has put themselves in this situation, they're in denial about it and maybe not trying to figure out how to change their situation. Additionally, there may be, you know, anxiety about money that causes them to avoid thinking about their money, which can lead to overspending, mispayments, and monetary enabling. Ooh, monetary enabling. That Mm. sounds sinister. Okay, the next one out of the big four is money worship. The opposite of the first category, people in this their pursuit of money is wanting to have it as a force in their life, believing it will fill the void, provide the security they need. They often don't just sit on their money. They may overspend in the mistaken belief that more stuff equals more happiness. Of course, more stuff equals more happiness. (laughs) I love having stuff. This is really the money is status. Money is, you know, the phrase of if only I had more money. Taken to it, it's extreme. These are the people that think that money rules everything. Money rules all. Yes, yeah. it is the the everything. But think about this one. You're living with your parents and you see it as that is having money to be able to afford to live on your own. That is your key to freedom. Mm-hmm. So money is freedom. Money is the ability to buy the things you want to buy. Money is the ability to get you where you want to go. A lot of us think that way. As much as we don't want to admit it, but money makes the world go round. Like you still need it to get from point A to point B. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that I necessarily 100% agree with what I'm about to tell you, but it did make me chuckle. So I'm going <laughs> to tell you anyway, sort of the idea that, that, that money is everything is it, it kind of plays in with another idea about why we work. Why do we have a job? Why, why are we doing, are we looking for some sort of personal fulfillment or are we just simply doing a job because you have to do a job because you have to get money because you have to eat and you have to have a roof Mm -hmm. roof over your head. And there's this very, very definite line. You know, employers very frequently get almost offended if their employees are like, I'm just, I'm here to do my job. You pay me. I go home. I'm not interested in, you know. So the meme is, you're paying me to do a job. If you want loyalty, get a dog. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the live to work, work to live. Yeah. And that I know is a hot topic right now because there's tons of memes out there about, um, I I read one last night and it said, why are the Gen Z's really focusing on the five to nine? Mm -hmm. That it's nine to five is the job, but five to nine. And it's because they've seen the burnout from the older generations. And we're kind of in a weird in between me and Cam for sure in a weird in between you've got the older generation like you work 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 if you want things you've got to work for it and then you've got this younger generation kind of coming in and the work ethic and I'm generalizing and I hate generalizing because I don't like being labeled like in the millennial category but Mm -hmm. the younger generation it tends to be that you don't need to push yourself and you just need to if you don't enjoy what you're doing and you're working too hard then you need to find something else yeah Yeah. so it's that balance and so I I guess I sort of I went off a little bit from what I guess what they're saying at least money worship really is but it, I, th- I think of this almost as a sort of a subcategory where money as a sort of utilitarian tool it is the necessary mm-hmm. it is the absolute necessary everybody needs money and so maybe I'm not a money worshiper but as the tool that I need to have to be able to live successfully 
Money is that tool. Money is definitely that tool. I think, and when we think money worshiper, you don't ever want to be like, oh, I'm a money worshiper. Because then that's a negative connotation. But then I think that the money worshiper is what's in your head that keeps you from just saying, screw it, I'm done. Yeah. I got angry at work. I'm leaving. It goes back to something, again, that you did talk about the last episode when you were talking about somebody that you had spoken to, one of our clients who wanted to, to... free himself from the confines of monetary, yeah. you know, that, that would fall a lot more, I would think under the money script of, of money avoidance, you uh-huh. know, kind of that money is evil. Rich people are evil. Rich people are greedy. There can be very much a sort of a middle point between the money avoidance and the money worship. Money worship. It's exactly what we talked about. Believing money rules everything around them. That money holds power. Therefore having more money means welding more power. Unlike money avoidance, money worship can have a few benefits. We all need to acquire money to live and more so to live comfortably. However, a money worshiper doesn't stop there. Many people who qualify as engaging in money worship use money to chase happiness. They believe lies within things about finding the next trip, the next thing to purchase. They engage in compulsive spending and convince themselves that spending money on other people is a show of affection. Oh, ouch. Oh, dang. Oh, <laughs> that one stings. Me right in the heart. <laughs> Most of all, the mission is acquiring more money and wealth is never ending. That's because they're chasing something that doesn't exist. Money will not solve all your problems. You're more likely to end up with a lot of stuff and a lifelong belief that something better is just around the corner. Cam, I got to wonder your thoughts on this because Cam and I have said several times that, you know, we do events. We put together all this time. And I think, you know, anybody, you put in all this time and work. And then by the time the actual event gets there, it flashes by you in a second And instead of stopping and smelling the roses and being all like, wow, that was awesome, you're thinking about the next thing. And so I think it's just with social media, with how life is right now, something flashes and we're on to the next thing. And so of course, it's very easy for it to be like, oh, well, I'm going to be happy if I could just get this new car or lose those five pounds or get this job or whatever. We're, We're all chasing that, or at least most of us are, I think. Yeah, I agree with the event thing. When I first was hired 10 years ago at Pickler Wealth Advisors, David was the NSBA president. The day I started, I helped plan this huge local event for three months, and then it happened. Uh I had never done events before. I was thrown into the fire. As soon as it was over, I felt lost. Yeah. Like, sad. Like, what is my purpose here anymore? And I'm like, oh, yeah, like what I was hired for, this other thing. But (laughs) it was tough. But now I don't think I jump like immediately to a new project and just like forget what I just did. I like to sit and kind of savor it. Like, oh, okay, yeah. so Cam's gathered it and it can do it. Now he needs to teach me. <laughs> Follow I, me, young Padawan. Exactly. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's the image of the dog trying to chase the car. Like he keeps getting close, keeps getting close. He's never going to catch the car. And that's what it is. It's you think about it. It's like, oh, well, if I can just get my bank account to $20,000, i will feel good. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then when 20000 hits, it's like, oh, well, maybe I need to try and get a twenty five. Maybe I need to try and get a $30,000. we are Ex- constantly chasing. I mean, except for the most disciplined spenders, you, your, your spending habits tend to expand with your, with your money, with, you, the, with the amount of money that you have available to you. So 
you know, 20,000, if I could just get 20 to $20,000, then I would be great. And then when you reach $20,000, your spending has gone up and you, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, well, I need more because I've got to cover all of these new expenses that I have. And it could, it, unless you're very disciplined about it, obviously it could turn into a, a bad thing. With this kind of money power, and, and I think it kind of rolls into the next one. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold that thought and go into the next one first. Okay. Money status. Whereas someone in the money worship category is using money as a way of self-medicating, those in the money status category directly connect their own sense of self-worth to their net worth. They believe that having more stuff than someone else makes them better. If I don't buy the latest technology, I'll be left behind. Wealthier people are happy. Keep up with the Jones. Exactly. And that's where I was... I'm glad this segued straight into from worship to status because there are a lot of people that do that. Eons ago, we talked about an episode with you, Court, about dresses and how girls now, you can't wear the same dress for mm -hmm. homecoming and prom and all of that. And so you've got to keep up. And it can't even be that you loan your dress to a friend. Oh, no. You have to make sure that you have the latest, newest dress. You can't rewear. You can't do that. Yeah. I'm just going to become the meme machine on this podcast. <laughs> but I just saw a meme last night, I think. And it was a woman who posted, you know, guys are entitled because they, they're privileged or they come from a position of privilege because guys can wear a suit, the same suit to every single party they ever go to. And girls have to wear a brand new dress every time they go to a party. Right. And this guy, <laughs> yeah, but this guy responded and goes, I do not know a single straight guy that would care if a girl wore the same cute dress to two parties. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> so it's girls doing it to themselves. <laughs> Yes, it is. It's that green with envy that a lot of us learned about as a kid. Like, I remember there was a Berenstein Bear book that I absolutely loved. And I think my mom kept reading it to me because it was me. But the little sister turned green because she was jealous of her brother because he got a new bike and she wanted a bike. And I joke a lot of times and I, I'm, I personally blame my horoscope that I'm a Scorpio and that I have a jealous side to me. And it's just... My personality of, it's not that I want to be better than somebody else, but I want to be at the playing field with them. So, of course, like, I mean, heck, before this episode, like, I, I'm very jealous that uh, Court and Robin are getting to go on a really fun trip at the end of this year. And I'm like, I want to go somewhere fun. So, I guess under this, it's like I'm trying to self-medicate because it's not that I want to beat their trip, but it's like, I want to do that. That sounds fun. <laughs> I think it's the FOMO, like fear yeah. of missing out. And mm -hmm. so sometimes you spend money associated with that. You're trying to keep up with it. You're trying to live life. And it's there's two sides to that because you, you work hard. You want to spend your money. And we very much believe in that balance of work hard, play hard. But before I, like, let's, let's break back down. Yeah, again because money I mean, status. the money status thing, one thing, one, I think, key element to money status is sort of how it really is how you define your self-worth. Yeah. It's I mean, self-worth directly of with your net worth and they see material objects as another side of worth. And so they see that if they have a nice car, if they have, you know, nice things and, and it's kind of maybe that person that's showy of, Oh, have you seen my designer this instead of saying like, Oh, yeah, I got a new purse. It's like, oh, no, I got a new Prada purse. I, they're kind of the name-dropping type mm. because they want it to be that they're defined by these items. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I got a new car. It's, oh, I got a new Mercedes. I got a new whatever. Yeah. And it, 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 and it feeds directly into their self-esteem. 
again, we're taking everything to the extreme here. Mm-hmm. This isn't everybody, but people that do this, people that are, are, are money status scripters, it plays into their self-esteem. They're sometimes compulsive gamblers is a common habit with this, um, mm. as hiding their spending habits and becoming financially dependent because they outspend their income. It's the sense that people who qualify as having this money script have the same symptoms of addicts. There's one that fits underneath this that is that I deserve to spend money. And I actually did an art or a paper about this for my master's class about how I feel like I kind of fall into that. And it's not that I deserve to spend money on me necessarily, but it's just that I've had a bad day. I don't feel good. Um, I deserve to buy a new Halloween thing. You know, I work hard for my money. I should do this. Or going out to lunch with friends and I'm thinking in my head like, you know what? I make good money. I want to buy everybody lunch. I want to do this. No one's asked me to do it. But so that is an addiction that I have of that I want to spend money and share money with my friends. And so I can see how it falls very much into addiction and that compulsive spending. Go listen to that rational mm-hmm. episode where I'm like, well, you know, you can get it on a discount or you can do this or do that or, oh, it's for... Cam's birthday or Quartz having a party or... Well, you know, back to that that one script that we talked about earlier, it's better to give than to receive. Sort of that money that money avoidance kind of script. What you're describing is almost kind of like, a, I'm not a behavioral finance person. I don't know a lot about it, but it almost sounds like this this whole need, compulsive need to gift. It's almost like a a combination of money avoidance and money status because you you see yourself being this benevolent person who is gifting who is gifting to other people because to get to give is better than to receive but at the same time you know obviously the idea it's not because you think money is bad you think that money and gifting it is good it's yeah. just it's sort of a it's a it's a combination yeah. because typical money avoidance would be Basically, money is bad. Ooh, that's that that yeah. is the sign of the root of all evil. But, but you're right with it because it's kind of one of those like sometimes it'll be I'll pay for meals for the group because I'm like oh well they they came into town and they're hanging out with us so they drove all this way I should pay for their meals so it's a little bit of money guilt mm. in that regards. You want to take the last one, Court? Money vigilance. Yeah. Constant vigilance. Uh, It's a Harry Potter reference. Okay. So this category is the healthiest of the four. It can also be taken to an extreme. Basically, people in the money vigilance category frequently evaluate their own spending and saving to ensure they are making wise decisions. (laughs) Okay, that doesn't sound bad at all, right? (laughs) Okay, but we all know that a person who never allows themselves to enjoy anything is, you know, not going to be... They're not going to be enjoying the fruits of their labor, for want Mm -hmm. of a better way to put it, because they're too vigilant about their spending. So, okay, we harp on this example. This first example, we harp on this a lot because this is very much a a Dave Ramsey thing. I was about to say that. Yeah. Never pay for anything with credit. Never go into debt. Not even the slightest bit because you've got to be careful and you can't. Well, it's credit is a tool, just like money is a tool. Mm -hmm. It's, It's all very utilitarian if you are... If you are good about it and you are disciplined about your spending and about your use of credit, then it can be fine. You don't you don't have to take it to the absolute extreme. Many people under this, it's money should be saved, not spent. If you cannot pay cash for something, you should not buy it. And I think this kind of goes a little bit into those that have been through tough times and just whatever their background is, that they have to save all their money. Uh, my Aunt Virginia and Uncle Wayne 
They were incredible business people, built a lot of wonderful businesses in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and they never had children. Mm. And their reasoning was because they kept saying they needed to be financially stable before they could have kids. They could never save enough in their minds Mm -hmm. and had the same situation happen the other day with a client. I showed them the numbers that they could afford this house, but they've been saving, saving, saving to do a down payment. And they're still, they've got enough saved. They can do it. The numbers work out, but they have to click in their mind that they can do this because it is, no, they don't have all of the money to pay cash for this house because we don't want them to do that. Mm -hmm. That's not a smart financial decision. These people are never satisfied, and so that's kind of the negative of it is they're constantly saving, and no matter, they're almost in disbelief that they can do things, and they don't leverage their cash appropriately to do the things they want to do. Um, these are kind of your stingy money savers. They're they're kind of like the Scrooge McDuck sitting on the pile of money, but you know they're going to harp over having to pay an extra couple of cents for the cheeseburger. But here's a very specific script that, um, as an example, nothing you ever buy will make you feel as good as saving money. Mm -hmm. I I feel like that that is an attitude that somebody might legitimately grow up to have based on the environment that they were raised in, whatever experiences they had as they became an adult. Um, So in and of itself, you can't necessarily be critical of that, but that just seems like, you know, nothing I ever buy is going to feel as good as saving my money. That to me, that's there's a disconnect there because there's obviously stuff that I buy that makes me happy, like a good burger. I don't, I don't you know. <laughs> Actually, I haven't had a burger in ages. That's a definite thing that people have. Yeah. They just want to save, save, save. And that's not bad. We're not telling you because saving no, is obviously saving is good. Great. Yeah. That's and, where none of these scripts are bad, but it's just being aware of what are your things and. If you are a big saver, then maybe learning how to kind of have some balance. And I'm not telling you to become a money worshiper or money status, but maybe try and balance it a little bit. You know, one of these things comes up when when we're talking to clients, it helps for us to be able to recognize, okay, we're dealing with somebody who is a very, very strict saver because, you know, somebody may have millions of dollars and they don't want to go out and buy a car, but Mm -hmm. they need a car. Yeah. And we're like, no, you you have the money to go buy a car. Please, goodness, go buy a car. Even somebody deciding to talk to a financial advisor, one of these money scripts could keep them from doing it because mm. doing a financial plan, we have to get nitty gritty into your true habits and know everything. So if you're somebody who's... Money is a taboo subject. Money is taboo. You may not come and talk to us. Or mm. if it's that you do have an unhealthy spending problem, you may not want us to get into that because you don't want us to bring it to the light what you're actually spending money on. Yeah, I hate to generalize, but I would bet a majority of the hardcore Dave Ramsey evangelists fall under this category, especially if they found success through his methods. Mm-hmm. Just as you were reading at court, I was just thinking Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, yeah. Dave Ramsey. Yeah, and it's there's nothing wrong with Mm-mm. saving. It is very good and it's but it's just being aware of it. Um a couple other popular and unhealthy money scripts. Okay, and I think this list, I think we pretty much covered this list in our last episode, but it's good to go over it again now that we've talked a little bit more about the the broader categories. Yeah, more money will make things better. I believe that. We touched on that. Money is bad. Talked about that. that. I don't deserve money. I don't believe that. (laughs) I deserve to spend money. 
talked about that. Mm. There will never be enough money. I, I mean, that's the pe- that's the workaholics. That's the people that kind of keep working, working, working because there's never going to be enough money. And now let me say, not all workaholics are doing it because they need to just keep piling up money. They could be doing it because they truly love what they're doing. There will always be enough money. Money is unimportant. And money will give me meaning. It's not nice or necessary to talk about money. Yeah. And if you are good, the universe will supply you all you need. That that, that very, karmic belief is... It's very hippie-ish, kind of like, oh, well, I'll find a job. And, you know, if the universe wants me to make money, then they'll present me with money. And for money is unimportant. I just think of, like, people that go off the grid and live in cabins in the yeah. woods. And whatever floats your boat. I mean, we are such a... I want to go live in a cabin in the woods. We're such a unique mix of people. And that's what makes life exciting is that we're not all... What was that song? We're blue and live in a blue world with a blue house and blue neighbors. Yeah. Like, we're not that way. You And I got so angry with the last election because so many people would be like, I'm just deleting all the people that are voting for the other person. I said, okay, so you're literally making your entire circle around you people who think just like you. That is not healthy. Not healthy. Wait, okay, I'm sorry. I just got a little right there. So how to determine your money script? Mm. And this may be this may be like really the the kicker of the episode. Sort yeah. of okay, you've you've heard us sort of describe all the different elements and, and and what you're really wanting to know is like, okay, so what are my scripts? How 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 do I figure out what, what I'm talking to myself about? Yeah, so here's a few ideas. Think back, ask yourself, what is your first memory of money? How old were you? Kind of how did you grow up? around money like what were the big memories of money that you had draw it out if visuals help you draw what you think of when you hear the word money don't think just draw the first image that comes to you when you think of money then sit back and see if you notice anything about the image test the waters are you feeling towards money negative or positive are they empowering or self-defeating and what are you thinking with that see what comes to mind what phrases come to mind when you think of money Old sayings we often hear from our parents, like penny wise, pound foolish. Huh, we did a whole episode on that one. Do you still think of money that way? And journal. Journal about all these things and talk to a financial planner about, you know, the different options. And realize that if nothing else, we're on episode 112. Money is emotional. Money is, there is so much towards it that it's not just this little dollar bill in front of us or nowadays just, you know, an app on your phone that represents this dollar amount. It's not representing your worth. So you've got to determine what does it mean? Does it represent your worth? Does it represent work that you have done? And that goes into mental accounting. That goes into so many episodes we've done here about it. And I mean, there's just money scripts can be changed though. So if you're listening to this and you're realizing, oh, I'm being labeled now as a certain money script, it's possible that it can be changed. Sometimes just realizing that a money script is limiting your choices can be enough to help you begin to rescribe it. You have the power that you can change it. Be like those movie scenes we were talking about that you can talk it out in your head and you know, maybe the devil's being too loud, so let the angel take over for a little bit. This is very much sort of like the antithesis of you can't teach an old dog new tricks. If you have learned behavior somehow, something has taught you to behave a certain way, that behavior can be unlearned. So you can change the way that you act and the way that you interact with money. The first step is is acknowledging <laughs> what your what your personal scripts are. I, I won't say the first step is admitting you have a problem because it may not be a problem. No, it's not. There's no wrong or understanding, right. Understanding, gaining some understanding about what your scripts are 
and uh, acknowledging that those scripts may be limiting the way that you uh, the way that you interact with money and they may be placing limitations on you. And then you can start to sort of relearn, change your behavior, learn how to do things differently. I've said it before in the last episode, and I know me, I'm going to start rolling into a bullseye. So let's go ahead and say that I'm doing a bullseye. Okay, Katie, Um, what's your bullseye? (laughs) This also is important that you not only understand yourself, but you understand your spouse, your family members, because obviously if your belief is do not get anything until you've saved the money, but you're with someone who's like a money worshiper, you need to be aware that that's their belief and you have your belief and trying to find that middle ground. Because something that I know I'm personally trying to work on is that, you know, expectations with people and how some people, no matter how much you want to will it, you can't change them. Some people are unable until they decide that they want to do it. They're unable to understand why someone would save all this money or understand why someone would spend all this money. So that's where have that understanding of what who you are and decide if you need to change it and then have the understanding of the people around you and what their beliefs are. Unless you want to be like Eiffel 65 and just live in a blue world with a blue house and so find only people that are money worshipers or only people that are money avoidance. But that'd be kind of boring just having the same people around you all the time. And it could be really destructive. <laughs> okay, bullseye. 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 I'm actually kind of uh, a little bit upset that we didn't get a little bit more into, we talked so much about recognizing your own money scripts that we didn't really get into the idea that how you interact with money and what your money scripts are is also going to affect the way you interact with other people. You know, we didn't really hit on that until the very end. And it's kind of a shame because that is a key, that is important, uh, especially in your interpersonal relationships to understand that other people have a different relationship to money than you do understanding that relationship. So basically I'm just piggybacking on Katie's bullseye. Understanding that relationship can be the difference between success and failure in your relationship with that person because these things can cause huge, Mm -hmm. huge chasms between people if they have two different beliefs about money. Bullseye? I mean, I guess it's kind (laughs) of a bullseye. I'm kind of targeting money script number two here, but I would say don't worship money, respect money. So don't let the drive to get more and more money negatively affect your mood or your decisions and just drive every single thing you do. Rather take a step back and see what that little rectangle of cotton or plastic can do for you to positively affect your future, like invest or a 529 plan or vacation fund. Mm -hmm. So don't worship, bad. You heard it here. Bullseye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, ladies and gentlemen, there's the closing bell. You've made it to the end of yet another episode of the Bullcast podcast. If you liked what you heard and you'd like to hear more, please feel free to go to your favorite subscription service and sign up to have our podcast beamed directly to your favorite listening device every single Thursday at noon. If you'd like to find out more about Katie, Cameron, and Court, please feel free to go to our website. That's bullcastpodcast.com. You can drop us a comment. You can suggest an episode topic. You can uh, chime in on any of the things that we have discussed today or in any other episode, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, if you like pictures, boy, do we have the pictures. Actually, I think we've we really more. been sort of consciously avoiding the pictures yeah. lately. It's but sad. we do have an Instagram feed. That handle is at Bullcast Podcast, and we also have a Twitter feed. That handle is also at Bullcast Podcast, so check that out if you'd like. And then finally, uh, we mentioned today, I know explicitly Cameron did at least once, mentioned that we work, all three of us, for a place called Pickler Wealth Advisors. 
Um, we are an independent financial advisory firm. And if you would like to find out more about what we do for people, uh, more about our team, more about our boss, David Pickler, then please feel free to go to that website. That is picklerwealthadvisors.com. That's advisors with an O. Not an E. Ladies and gentlemen, I have given you quite a bit. We've given you quite a lot. We've given you everything that we (laughs) happen to have got. So for now, I'm Court. I'm Katie. I'm Cam. And we're done. (laughs) 